are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are the addiction doctors, Dr. Darlene Peterson and Paula Cook. Welcome to The Addiction Files. Dr. Peterson here. Unfortunately, Dr. Cook was called away on a family emergency. Fortunately, I have Noby and Chuck Pyle joining me tonight to discuss auricular acupuncture and the use of substance use disorders. So we are going to have a fantastic discussion on how this technique can assist our patients in their recovery. As a way of introduction, we're going to talk about the history of 5NP or auricular acupuncture. I'll introduce some of the terms that we're going to be talking about, where this comes from, and some of the advocacy efforts that Chuck and Noby have been involved in, and some of the uses and populations that have particularly benefited from this. Without further ado, I want to introduce our guests. Nobi hails from Tokyo, Japan, but has resided in the United States for almost 50 years. She is a licensed medical acupuncturist and has practiced acupuncture and Asian medicine in her Tucson clinic, Tucson Acupuncture and Chinese Herbs, for the past 25 years. In 2016, she became NADA certified in acupuncture detoxification. And since then, she has been designated as a registered ADS and AAT trainer by NADA and POCA, respectively. She's currently working part-time as a licensed acupuncturist and and full-time as a auricular acupuncture trainer. Chuck, or Charles, was raised in Haddonfield, New Jersey, but ventured west for college, and as he's and as he says it, never left. He, Chuck was, was a lawyer for 28 years and a straight judge for the past 17. And we should be calling him the Honorable Charles Pyle. He has no formal health training in his background, but in April of 2022, he became certified by the Arizona Acupuncture Board to practice auricular acupuncture. He has since become a certified POCA auricular acupuncture trainer. He ended his judicial career in Flagstaff, Arizona, where 75% of the criminal case defendants were Native Americans. Because of that experience, he has developed a great interest in integrating Native American traditional culture and 5NP into behavioral health treatment for the Native American population. Chuck is also very active in 5NP legislative advocacy, which we are going to talk about in this podcast throughout the U.S. We want to just talk about first some of the terms that we're going to be referring to in this podcast for some of those new to what auricular acupuncture is. And then we'll get into the history. When we say the term first 5NP, that means five needle protocol. And that's referring to five points on the outer ear using needles or seeds, ear seeds that can be placed. Chuck and Noby are going to go into more detail about those specific points and what they mean. When we are talking about POCA, that stands for the People's Organization of Community Acupuncture, or NADA, the National Acupuncture Detox Association. These are the two main governing and licensing organizations. So to become certified, you would get certified either through POCA or NADA. 
So auricular acupuncture, this has been used for the past 50 years in the United States. Its history is quite interesting. It was really first used the most in Bronx, New York, in Lincoln Hospital. This came in the wake of a devastating heroin epidemic. In the 1970s, The this was the Black Panthers, the Young Lords, actually took over the sixth floor of the Lincoln Hospital. And this was in response to of this devastating heroin epidemic and what was seen as discrimination to minority populations and lack of access to treatment. What protesters did is they negotiated with hospital administration to start one of the first methadone OTPs in the area. And that evolved into bringing in additional modalities. So not just medication, but obviously treatment and therapy. And then people were wanting additional therapies by instead of just medication. And I want to put a big caveat here. We're When we're talking about using 5NP in these protocols, this is integrating it into our treatments. This is not instead of our traditional treatments. But at the time, this was, there was a lot of this movement was because there was so much lack of access to treatment and medication and limitations. And there were some where this movement was seen as medication was seen as another form of control because there was such limited access. This is where really auricular acupuncture came out where it was trying to make it available to the people and access to everyone, something that we can give to everyone and make it widely accessible. So that's where that movement started back in the 1970s. So a really interesting history. It's really a people's medicine for the people by the people. And um, it's not something that, the, um, you know, uh, some acupuncture genius came up with then and, and uh, oh, let's do this. But it does make sense, those five points. Um, in Should I talk about uh, Asian medicine a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. In, in Asian medicine, you know, acupuncture is all about balancing in and yang. And yang is uh, activities and warmth and heat and in is uh, grounding, heavy um, anchoring. And, you know, whether I'm trying to work on the back pain or heart flashes, I am trying to correct the yin and yang balance. I do that by, you know, uh, looking at the tongue or, you know, uh, uh, taking the pulses, but in 5MP, we don't do that. We just go in and, and, uh, uh, are you ready? And then place five needles and five needles and the five points in the air has a great significance because a lot of people who, um, we see in the prison system or addiction, uh, 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 uh rehabilitation, system, they have symptoms so-called empty fire. Empty mm-hmm. fire is different from full fire, okay? If you are looking at two-year-old 
boy uh, who is running, running, running all, all over the place. And that's a full fire. It's just that the boy has so much energy. But if you are looking at uh, adults who are acting out um, vexing and fever and, and red face and agitation and uh, not sleeping, that's sort of like <clears throat> fire, but it's not, it's not because too much energy because there is no in to balance his activities. So in is depleted by uh, childhood abuse, childhood trauma, uh, disease, sickness. Um, in terms of uh, um, balancing that nothing was added to the inn. So by the time we see those people in the facilities, incarceration, people are very lopsided, indeficient. And so we call it empty fire. So if we use medication and shaming uh, incarceration, that's what we do for those people. It further depletes the inn. So they don't have the anchoring to begin with. Um, so the empty fire just go ablaze. So what do we do with the needles? We put needles on five points of the in organs of five elements. We break down in and yang into five elements, fire, earth, uh, metal, water, uh, wood, those are five elements. Fire is the um, uh, most young, water is most in, all the rest is in the metal. Each five element has in organ, heart, spleen, kidney, lung, um, liver. So we use those points. First point, shaman, is a fire point. Second point, sympathetic, is spleen point. And kidney, um, liver, lung, those five points does create more in. So we're boosting the in instead of quashing the yang that's ablaze. <clears throat> so when the needles goes in and then people feel so relaxed and then they ask, what are they? What what do they have in the needle? You know why why am I so relaxed? Well, it's there's nothing in it. It's you. <laughs> People are healing from inside, and then and sometimes for the first time they feel like maybe I can do this. You know, maybe um, I have in it to stay in the program. Um, so. That's a very powerful point on those five points. Uh, your description of the history is good, though. And we always, you know, as you saw, we do it in our training because it's an important basis for what you're going to be doing. It's just shocking, the whole story about how it developed. But but true. We were just at PokeFest back in Providence in the end of July. And uh, Laura Cooley had this uh, slide uh, that talked about the development of AccuDetox and she had the word community like 10 times down the left side of the slide, you know, that it was developed by community members 
It was delivered by community members to community members in a community setting. You know, it just went down and down and down as, as to how, how closely it is the ultimate grassroots d- delivery model, really. Now, in, in Utah, you're going to be using it in clinical settings, which is, which is great. Uh, my dream is that someday I've got a lot of dreams that, you know, Utah will expand that and, and allow you to get out into rural church settings or, you know, and into youth settings and all other sorts of settings. But in your clinical settings, uh, uh, the, you're going to have some, some great impact there too. You were mentioning that, uh, you know, it's not a, we're not in conflict with medications that, that, that there is no silver bullet. Uh, uh, and I don't, for most people, I don't think there's one modality that's going to be the answer. I think that we need a Chinese menu of choices, but we also need to figure out strategies for getting the patient more involved in making those choices and not just sitting there like a dartboard receiving the, what's going to happen. Uh, and that's another beautiful thing about 5MP, particularly for clinical settings or preclinical settings, is I think one of its greatest strengths is, is it's just about the most wonderful engagement strategy. Uh, a lot of the <clears throat> population that's in a lot of distress, the homeless population, returning war veterans, uh, Native Americans who've, you know, it suffered 430 years of, of oppression. Uh, so many populations under so much distress, and it's not too shocking to see that either financially they don't have access to medical care, mm-hmm. or their experiences with institutions and governments are not positive. And so it's kind of hard to get them to start, <laughs> which leaves us with, well, you're just you know you don't even you don't even want to help. You don't want to be helped. Uh, but with with Acupuncture with the five needle protocol, five MP. All we have to do, we said, Hey, here's a piece of paper. This will explain what the five points do, you know, and um, some of the emotions that it would respond to. Um, Basically, we're just going to put these little skinny needles in and have you sit quietly for 30 minutes. Do you want to give that a try? And most people that are in that desperate uh, setting, you know, are willing to do it. Says all you need just sign this informed consent, and we're off and running. You know, I don't need to ask you when you last used. I don't need to ask you what happened during the war. I don't need to ask you if you're uh, homeless or not. I don't need to ask you anything. I just need to ask you: Are you ready for me to place the first needle? And once once those needles are in, the the impact on the person, including the people, you know, people getting it for the first time are frequently kind of a little nervous, you know, but, but once those needles are in, the, the chill is just unbelievable. And once they kind of feel that from just this complete no barriers treatment modality, then the notion of going to a clinic or, uh, you know, going, going to uh, a mental health provider or somewhere else becomes a, a lower barrier, a lower, a lower hurdle for them. They're, they have more confidence in themselves. They're ready to go. 
Oh, I love that. I mean, I think you bring up such an important point. It's being able, like you said, to engage them in treatment. And it's this first like overcoming that barrier because you're dealing and yeah, and I want to get to that of this. We're we're dealing with such traumatized people often because either addiction is traumatizing itself or there's so much trauma that's led to the addiction, you know, if not both. But this seems to have such a place with just trauma in general and just being able to get that first approach to be able to just really approach the patient, which I think is really interesting. But I have one thing and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because, but we get this question a lot among kind of skeptics and the medical community, just like, well, does it work? And that's why, like, just, it's always good just talking to people with your experience who've done this for many more, many more years than me who have a lot more experience. And it's, it's hard because science always wants, well, studies and, and data. And what we have is just, we have the anecdotal information, but we have all these powerful stories and experiences from just patients. And, and I, but I think there is certainly quite a bit of power in that. And I only have like, there are, there are a couple of studies and I'll mention one because I think this was a review article and this is just for our listeners that can look this up for more detail, but this comes from the journal article, Substance Abuse and Rehabilitation. And this was published in December of 2016 called the National Acupuncture Detoxification Association Protocol Auricular Acupuncture to Support Patients with Substance Abuse and Behavioral Health Disorders, Current Perspectives. And it was was by Elizabeth Stewart and Claudia Voiles. Mm-hmm. It was Libby really site. Libby site yeah. and then the Claudia Voiles. Yes, thank. And so it, the data they pulled a bunch of different studies and reviewed them, but it came down to a mix. The results are mixed, like positive and negative. But I really appreciated their conclusion. At the end of the day, they still recommend it, particularly because. Patients, even with just, it's like you just said, just engaging. It was a way to just engage them in treatment. They seem to have benefit. Even if we didn't see lasting benefit, it it engaged them in treatment. So that's just a really quick glossing over summary and you probably have more that you could say on that because I know you've talked more about these studies but I thought that was just an interesting point to bring up. Uh, Yeah there are a few um, researchers and then uh, Ken Carter uh, uh, did the research uh, published applied nursing research 2019 auricular acupuncture reduces anxiety and burnout in behavioral healthcare. So uh, he worked on the nurses and and uh, for with the five MP and then the was effective. Um, it's really difficult to do research with acupuncture, really you know, and then there's no 
uh, double blind. <laughs> you can't, you can't <laughs> do our usual, <laughs> there's no placebo. We can't right. do. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, you know, there are, and then also Libby um, and then Claudia with those, Sarah uh, has another article, but I mean, instead of just citing it, I, uh, if anybody's interested, I have more uh, information where to go about some of the researches done. Yeah, <clears throat> I have. Um, I could offend your audience in so many ways on the subject of evidence-based practices. <laughs> I have some very strong thoughts and um, I actually think uh, people may start coming around to my uh, thinking, but let's start from one premise is this is a modality that's based on several thousand years of Eastern medicine practice. Uh, we're a, a Western, philosophically a Western culture, Western medicine. And so when, when we start talking about, uh, a 5MP, when we talk, start talking about indigenous cultural therapies, it's pretty easy to be dismissive. When you start talking to a Western medicine researcher about the five elements, you know, if that's, that's not going to be getting anywhere. Yeah. Um, and both of those modalities are going to be focused on um, helping the person heal from within, both the indigenous modalities and the 5MP. Yeah. We're not trying to be heroes and, and apply some external savior force on them with medication or manipulation or anything like that. We're just trying to give their body, their energy system, a nudge so that they can start healing from within. And that one of the reasons this is so well received in we do a lot of work on the Navajo reservation mm -hmm. is because it is the whole concept of achieving balance in you know, body, mind and spirit is central to both. You know. Whereas in Western medicine, it's more a focus of, okay, you've got a left ankle sprain. Let's look at that left ankle. Yeah. You know, so it's a totally different concept. And then you use a term evidence-based practice uh, to have the arrogance to say yours is worthless. Yeah. Even though both the indigenous remedies and the Eastern remedies only have three or four millennia of support for them. <laughs> Uh, so that's the initial thing. But to give some comfort to your audience, um, uh, last uh, April, last March, rather, Nancy Lavigne, uh, uh, V I G N E, was uh, uh, appointed by President Biden to be the director of the Office of Justice Policy's National Institute of Justice. And she made uh, two points. Uh, in uh, in her kind of inaugural speech is one that development of studies was going to be developed uh, from much more from a community perspective than from a scientific perspective going forward so that it will have greater application to actually benefit the community. 
And then the second thing was, uh, we are not going to be dismissive of narrative uh, narrative outcomes. Uh, those outcomes are important. And I think that I think that's not just Dr. Lavigny, but I think that's others who are saying, no, we, why would we be dismissive of narrative reports? <laughs> so I think from our perspective, uh, uh, we we really should not be defensive about that. I heard a presentation on indigenous therapies from this uh, uh, woman from New Mexico who is a very experienced uh, native healer. And, and, you know, some wise guy, it wasn't me, some wise guy says, well, you know, is this an evidence-based practice? And she just very calmly said, she says, I describe what I do as uh, practice-based evidence. It's been working for me for 25 years, so I'm going to continue doing it. And here we have a protocol that has been unchanged for 50 years. So I don't think we need to go around just and providing relief for people for 50 years with the biggest change being 9-11, showing that it impacts trauma. Thank God we learned that yeah. as well as addiction. And uh, we should be really proud of that record. The other thing the studies will show is there is not a single mention in a single study of any harm. And that's usually what we're balancing, right, in these yeah. scientific studies. Absolutely. Versus efficacy. And there is not a single mention of harm. So you balance that. It's a pretty low bar for how successful we're being. It should be because uh, we're balancing against zero, basically. No, absolutely. I mean, I think <laughs> I think your your argument is excellent when we look at low cost, low barrier. And then as far as risks versus benefits, I mean, when we look at compared to some of our alternative treatments, yeah. I think that's that's fantastic. Thank you. That really is. a. I think those are really excellent points. I want to talk about advocacy because particularly like both Chuck and Unobi have been really heavily involved in this. To, like you said, your vision is trying to get this out to the community, but getting this from, I know even in my state, and you're going to tell us a little bit more about how this is available as far as legal from state to state, which practitioners can practice this protocol. Here, I just know it can be obviously medical doctors, but we now can have you know, it can be nurse practitioners, it can be LCSW, so we can have therapists using this protocol. And and that's really from your work, from your advocacy work. What other states, what other kind of restrictions are put on it in some other, in other states? What other barriers are you trying to overcome? What's that been like for you? So legislation on this kind of started in the late 1990s before 9-11. And so it, 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 the early legislation was totally focused on treating addiction. Um, and uh, that's what Arizona's was until we got, got the law changed. Uh, and a lot of the laws are that. They just focused on addiction. Trauma is not within the scope of practice. It's uh, usually licensed providers. And sometimes, like in Arizona, it was limited 
to licensed drug treatment centers, uh, which was very limiting. Very um, restrictive. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's, it's almost, I don't, I don't know if there are two states that have a, a, the identical statutes. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But about half of the states do have some sort of statutory uh, premise. And that means half the states have nothing except all but two states regulate acupuncturists. So it would be a problem for you to go sticking acupuncture needles in people's ears in those states. So that would be perceived as a problem. Um, more recently, I'm kind of th- seeing it as an opportunity because I think the best, the best legislative model for us is to just, since this is such an incredibly safe procedure, it's, it's inexpensive and it's so community oriented. Let's get it out in the community. And, and there's just no safety reason to regulate it. So let's just say if you are trained by NADA or POCA in 5MP, you can use it in, in community, in your, in your state. No regulation. I, I have this uh, document uh, that Utah healthcare providers um, uh, licensed uh, licensed healthcare providers, chiropractors, licensed practical nurses, RNs, nurse practitioners, medication aides, physicians, surgeons. Yeah, but in Arizona, um, the it was uh, the um, uh, the scope of practice became trauma we had a trauma so that's why he uh who um the chuck who has uh, no health uh uh background uh could be trained and of course we he had to uh, apply for state um certificate so arizona acupuncture board controls that um he gets a, a certificate so he can practice so in our training, we train a lot of different people, paralegals, massage therapists, um, just a grandma who wants to help um, kids to um, social worker, healthcare practitioners, doctors we, and nurses. We even trained an IT person once, which was shocking to me that they would care about people enough to want to learn this. <laughs> That's great, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people are really... A lot of people are focused by uh, problems that close family members have had with mm-hmm. either trauma, mental health, or addiction issues, and that's what's kind of driving them. Um, and uh, there's usually a lot of motivation. The trainings we have one starting next Sunday, I think. Yeah. Yes. The okay. trainings are really very upbeat experiences because people come in so motivated to want to help others. Wouldn't be, which yeah. is certainly a great thing for and all. And having of us a discussion, you know, um, between the people who have been incarcerated and who um, put them in incarceration, being in the same room, trying to learn the technique. I mean, the discussion there is yeah. incredibly interesting. Yeah. We did it for several years at the Federal Halfway House here in Tucson. And- and I'd be in the guys' room and, and nobody'd be in the woman's day room. And, you know, some of the people would, you know, have been there before. And some of the new people would be, I'd be going around placing needles. And someone, 
one of the guys who knew me would say, uh, well, judge, when are you, uh, you know, so he asked me a question and all the other heads would just, we whipping around, what's a judge doing there, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so, but it really, it really offers great connections. Um, when we hear why people want to be, you know, people want to work with people in domestic violence shelters, want to work with the homeless population. A lot of time, uh, almost every time we have a class is someone who wants to work with veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of my clear focuses based on my own experiences, uh, all sorts of different places in the criminal justice system, like uh, drug courts, jails, and prisons. Tell me, a, tell me about to... those experiences. So tell me about, you know, what kind of personal experiences have you had working with patients and out in the community, like you said, in the halfway house and then in the correction, in the, you know, in the justice system what's that been like in every instance the the one thing that's consistent with 5mp is it's really chill it's just totally chill uh so you go in the in in the halfway house and it tends to be a little noisy the lights are bright they don't want you to turn lights off or dim them or anything like that. They want doors open. You know, they want to be able to look in and stuff like that. And women's rec room is a little different. They are able to turn off the lights. So they bring their own music, you know, um, but the men's uh, rec room, they're not allowed to turn off the light. Yeah. But for, for us, after we'd been there for a while, you know, the, the guys, you know, there's always like, repeat customers and new customers and the guys would come in and the repeat guys would go over and start would sign the informed consent and hand it to the next guy and find a seat and make themselves comfortable if there was someone who was new and was worried they would you know talk to them about why they should go ahead and and do it um you know i don't have to be bossing around and you know saying no you sit there you sit there i'm just it, it, everything's moving along at its at its uh the at power its the power of the group like the power that. of the group mm-hmm. they're on their own they find a seat i would put in uh put in the needles and i'd sit down with them play some spa music and let them sit quietly for for uh um, 30 minutes and uh and then i take the needles out they're always extraordinarily grateful and it really um is another option it's another opportunity for some normalization you know some contact with normal contact with someone from the community and for for them to not act with this bravado and this kind of tough outer shell but just kind of let their guard down and then another another point of um power of group uh, there are some people who are scared of needles even though i show them that the tiny quarter inch skinny needles people just don't feel like I mean they have pierced ears and then tattoos, but and I don't force them. If you wouldn't uh, want the needles, I offer them C's. And some some people want just one needle, so I do one needle or C's, and they're sitting quietly, and everybody else has um, needles, and then they feel like. I think I'm going to have more needles. And then, and, uh, and even if she didn't ask for more needles with just one 
seized or one needle. She said 30 minutes. She gets just as quiet and, and, and peaceful. Um, you know, the effect of being in a group with other people who are relaxed. So I think it's powerful. I have done it in one room, in my office. You know, I have a recliner in one office and then one person comes in and I do one-on-one. That works fine, but I think there's something more in the group. But in addition to the group experience, there's the experience that person's receiving where she's totally in control. She's totally in control of how many needles or, or any needles going in my ear. You know, there's nothing, uh, nothing happens without her permission, without her direction. I'll tell you a, a quick story about the group experience. We're with the halfway house and, you know, I've got about eight guys in there. They've all got needles in their ears. They're all totally zonked out. And uh, I'm there um, just sitting and paying attention. and. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, this really large guy comes blowing into the room, looking at his phone, you know, and just goes over to the corner and plops down in a chair loudly. And he's still looking at his phone and he's kind of angry. And then he looks up and he sees everybody totally zonked out around him. And he goes, oh, crap. That's, I just kind of motioned it. Sorry. As long as you stay quiet, you can stay. You know, you can look at your phone, just be quiet. And he says, sure. I just be quiet. You'll be fine. Just stay. And uh, so then he so he stays and he's flipping through his phone and stuff. And I look back over at him about three minutes later and he was totally zonked out. Didn't have any needles, nothing. But just <laughs> he was just cocked out. I love it. <laughs> That's peer pressure. Like <laughs> It's the positive it peer pressure. But it really is nice for these people whose lives feel so out of control, whose whose society has tried to apply so many controls to, to have an experience where they're in control is is. too powerful for them. It is, absolutely. Well, it's like you said, there's so many rules and regulations and every minutia of their life is controlled and regulated to just have moments of just to be able to take that back and to give some kind of just dignity back and a little bit. So that's amazing. That's an amazing experience. Tell us a little bit about your just experience with kind of integrating this kind of with the Native American traditional culture. And that sounds like you've been really fit with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Why don't you tell them about it? We've well, been up to the Navajo be, Reservation three times. Why don't you tell them a little bit about it? Well, we, we do Navajo uh, Reservation training every summer. Um, not necessarily summer. Um, different area of uh, reservation. And uh, it's a large group. It's about 30 people. And mm-hmm. they all have a uh, wait list. And we do it in a... Uh, either hospital or uh, IHS facilities. And, you know, those people are not necessarily healthcare workers. As he said, IT person, um, you know, grandmothers and uh, working in a different 
field. Um, the the guy who this teaches, is really uh, the community though, but yeah, you're really teaching the community. And then we we do the lecture about ACEs, you know, the uh, trauma uh, issue. They all have tens. I mean, those people who have been historically, you know, traumatized and then and then in, in their own family, they have so generational many trauma. Yes. So um, they really get it. And then when we have the clinic to, you know, so that they can get the required amount of practice, we have no problem. I mean, they bring in their families and then neighbors and friends and then they just comes in. And then at one point, the trainer, us started bringing needles because we couldn't process as many people as, you know, they come in. Yeah. And they really, really uh, uh, like it, feel appreciated. We, we feel very appreciated. And then, uh, you know, before the next training, there are so many people who wants to do the next training. So it's full. Yeah. When you, when you tell them kind of just a brief explanation of the principles behind it, that we're just trying to, you know, find balance within you, you know, type of thing. I mean, their heads are not, they, that's just, yes, they're not talking about the five elements, the earth elements, and then, you know, fire element, the wood and wind, and it's like, oh, we do those things, yeah. you know? <laughs> so consistent with what they're doing. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, they're, and the, the need is great in the native populations uh, because of the all sorts of levels of trauma and intergenerational trauma and everything. Absolutely. Uh, horrendous substance abuse, uh, a lot of, as a result, a lot of criminal justice involvement. It's just layer upon layer upon layer of need. And uh, uh, a, a community delivery bottle is perfect for them. You know, they, they really don't want outsiders particularly coming in and they don't particularly trustful, but, you know, to have their community members delivering a service to them is really very powerful for them. I love it. What a way to get treatment out there and engage. I love that. It brings us back to just engaging with patients. What yeah. an amazing, what an amazing work that you're doing. Well, we get, we get a lot of a benefit doing training, doing treatments, because I think as a practitioner, I feel I get some energy from the group because Tuesday night was the time I, I used to go to um, uh, the halfway house and I work full day and then go to uh, halfway house. I'm totally exhausted before I went. And then, then by the time I'm finished, I feel so invigorated. And then in the trainings also, I learned so much from the people who wants to do good do this 5MP and work on these people and vicariously I you know I get excited yeah. <laughs> about doing the training we're we're going to start uh doing it this Sunday at a um it's kind of like a homeless uh breakfast for the homeless at a a downtown uh site every Sunday morning so we're going to start there on Sunday, and they used well when we were there. They they get about two hundred people, I think, there mm-hmm. on an mm-hmm. on an average morning. And then next week we're going to be starting at a um, a large uh, woman's shelter, um, uh, mm-hmm. about 
about a mile and a half south of downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, again, populations that, you know, are dealing with a ton of trauma. Absolutely. And, uh, and are medically underserved by for sure. And uh, so we're really looking forward to those opportunities. And one of the reasons we're getting those opportunities is also to give the people we trained opportunities to go out there and use what they've learned. And uh, they're excited about doing that. So that's good. Can, can I make a pitch for your listeners? Absolutely, please. Yeah. So your listeners should, A, consider being uh, trained by uh, Dr. De La Garza and Dr. Powell, for sure. They're really what a great pair those two are there yes absolutely the uh yeah you've got the medical encyclopedia and dr hell and <laughs> the uh music. enthusiasm of dr. <laughs> yeah, so it's a great great training so we really encourage i really encourage you to think about getting trained it has so many applications in clinical settings which is where it's mainly going to be used in utah now but my other pitch is, please do that, please do that, but also maybe get together with other clinicians who've got their 5NP certification and look for an opportunity at a veterans organization or a homeless shelter, um, you know, somewhere <laughs> more in community, um, you know, maybe an immigrant immigrant. Uh, asylum uh, organization or something like that, someplace in community that has a big need. And um, kind of in addition to the use in clinical settings, but uh, do it in a volunteer setting. And that will uh, help spread the... uh, Absolutely. No, I think that is fantastic. We just, it's getting it out there. And like you said, getting it out to the people. That's the whole movement. And... It's slowly growing, but you guys, you guys are just lighting the fire. I just, when I, when I first met you and I was just like, man, the stuff you're doing and just teaching, teaching people first. And then how much, how many groups you go out to and just serving people. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I do think that, um, you know, figuring out a, a group to target and the criminal justice community is a good one because they're an organized yeah. bureaucracy. Um, so getting the healthcare organized proxy, boy, what a huge healthcare system you have there too in Utah, um, to, uh, reach out to those guys and say, uh, Hey, we, we can help you out here. Um, they, uh, they definitely, they have a population that's at least two thirds of the people going through the criminal justice system have a substance use disorder. At least half of them have been traumatized. Maybe a quarter or more uh, have PTSD. Absolutely. Um, They've experienced homelessness, incarceration, all kinds of traumatic experiences. So it's a it's a really it's a group that's uh, in need, and uh, and they frequently have a population that's in a in an isolated location. So, uh, but uh, I think that, you know, people view Utah as, from the outside, they view Utah as a conservative state, but Utah can be surprisingly progressive uh, 
on issues like homelessness and other issues. And I think that uh, in criminal justice, I think they may well be interested in incorporating this kind of thing into their drug courts and other things. Um, so I think it's worth reaching out to them saying, you know, we're not we're not here to tell you what to do. We're just here to supplement what you're doing here, give you a little little boost. No, I love that, like supporting, working together. And I think just on your advocacy piece, so all, you know, our listeners all in other states, like. Uh, Yeah, I'd be glad to work with anybody who's interested in another state. I'm working with states from Virginia to Washington. So um, uh, I'd love to work with them, getting great support from the people at POCA on that but uh yeah i don't think that you know the technique hasn't changed in 50 years the scope changed once to add trauma i think that's going to stay consistent but i think the real protection for anybody who's worried about scope creep is it's a it's a non-verbal non-diagnostic modality so nobody's really focused on scope they're just focused on (laughs) Would you like me to put some needles in your ear? Yeah. You think, well, this provides you some relief. And that may sound uh, too simple or naive to others, but if it's providing relief to that person, uh, let them figure out why it's providing relief. Uh, I'm just glad to put the needles in, get them out, and offer you a bead, and uh, wish you good good luck on <laughs> See you next week. Simple as that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. You're a wealth of knowledge and and all of your efforts just in serving your community and your teaching and your advocacy. Thank you again. Yeah, it was really, really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time. Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com. purposes only. Hosts and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from this source. As each person is unique, you're advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.